Warning family, this episode contains mature content and may not be suitable for little ears. Take caution. Access more. Yes, when Mexicans and Texans get together, I mean, 100%. it's just going to be a party. It's there's going to there's going to be some <laughs> spice. There's going to be a little bit of pepper. I love it. I love it. You bring pepper and I'll bring salsa. Together I'll it's a good combo. I'll do it. I will do it. I grow my own jalapenos. Bianca, so what don't you do? It's about time because we're going there. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of We're Going There. I am your host, Bianca Juarez Oltoff. And today on the podcast, we get to interview a woman that I have looked up to and admired for so very long. This is the first time she's been an appearance on the podcast. And I am so excited that we get to sit down and have an incredibly thoughtful, disarming, and intensely vulnerable look into the life and the ministry of a woman who is known by so many people, but yet intimately known by few. Not only is that smart and she has great boundaries, I think that's wise. And today we get to have a conversation with Bible teacher and ministry leader, Beth Moore. I say this in the interview, but I have to say it again because it bears repeating. This woman has left an indelible mark, not just on my life and my ministry, but also I love for the Bible. I'm excited and I am so, so, so incredibly honored that Beth would spend time to come onto the podcast to discuss not just her life, but her upcoming book. Now this book releases tomorrow and I'm encouraging you, this in-depth look isn't like any of her other work. Some of it has been narrative informed. Of course, she has her Bible studies. She has prayer resources. But this is her story. This is her life. And when I tell you she goes in, y'all, she goes ham. I am so excited that she is having honest conversations about some of the struggles that she's had in marriage, in ministry, in life, some of the attacks that have gone online. I mean, this is like a no bars held book. And I cannot wait for you to get your hands on a copy of All My Knotted Up Life, which releases tomorrow. Of course, her website will be in show notes. You can get more information on where you can get the book. But I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I've enjoyed the work and the labor of love that this woman has poured into ministries, Bible studies, conferences for the last two decades. Yes, 20 years. I have so much admiration and so much respect for the seeds that she has sown in ministry. I hope you enjoyed this interview. The first time that I saw a woman teaching the Bible, not just talking about Jesus, but the first time I saw a woman teaching the Bible and it wasn't boring was you. Really? Miss Beth, I know I have a little lump in my throat to say that. Well, <laughs> you that have gives been me a lump so amazing. Too. Oh, this is the first time I think I've ever told you that. But for it a 22 year old Latina in Southern California, I had never seen somebody Te- I've never seen a woman teach the Bible this way. And you made the Bible come alive and it was so beautiful and so fun. And so to be able to talk to you now before we have, I, girl, I have questions. I have questions, Miss Beth, for you. But before we do, I have to say, I made a little inventory before, before the podcast started. Okay, okay. The very okay. first Beth Moore Bible study I did was Esther. And I loved it so much that I actually took a bunch of 20-something girls. I was 22 and I took a bunch of 22-year-olds through the Bible study of, um, of Esther in East Los Angeles, California, across the street from my dad's church. I actually still have that work, workbook to this day. And then since then, I have done Faith Has Come, A Woman's Heart, Believing God, Breaking Free, Entrusted, The Quest, James, 
And wait, wait, I got one more because this was like, I want to say it was like 30 weeks. I could be exaggerating, but it was like a long, we went almost exegetically through the book of Romans together. And I printed out every single one of those homework assignments and I did every, nope, I was actually, when I was doing my inventory right now, I said, oh my gosh. Miss Beth and I go way back. She don't know it, but we go way back. <laughs> well, you know, when we were, when we got on here and I saw your beautiful face so that we can say a little bit about background that we have together for our listeners. We go back some years and I have always, always, I'm so maternal that I just love you young women so much. And I love to see what God is doing in you. But when your gorgeous face flashed up on that screen and I sat down in front of you on this side of the screen, I was trying to think when the first time would have been that I saw you and heard you, but it was one of those moments I can definitely remember. I actually know. Okay. When was it? And this is a shout out. This is a beautiful shout out to your gorgeous offspring. And so it was, I want to say I was teaching a Bible study at my dad's church, um, which is still in East Los Angeles. He's still preaching, 71 years old, still preaching of four services on a Sunday. And I was teaching a summer Bible study and it was your daughter that saw me, I think on YouTube and sent a clip to you. Now we didn't connect for another like couple months, but I was, I was just recently married to Matt. So this is over a decade ago. And I went to one of the living proof events. And let me, let me just, for those that don't know, because there's going to be some people listening and they don't, they probably think like, why is Bianca fangirling tripping right now? It's because I went to a Living Proof event. Well, first of all, the first one I went to was in Sacramento and I convinced my mom, mama, we got to go see Beth Moore. And so she mm-hmm. ended up taking her woman's board and we all flew up to Sacramento and we didn't, we were on a budget. So we all crammed into hotel rooms. Of course you did. And we sat in through the entire session. It was amazing. And then you were in Orange County locally and we got a chance to connect because my husband was working at the church that was hosting the event. And um, it was just one of the most like beautiful moments. And then we reconnected uh, we we marginally connected like on social media, but then yes. in person when I was working for Christine Kane oh, Christine. in yes. Thessaloniki, Greece. Absolutely. Yep. And I want to tell you, so now this this rewinds our clock where now I'm seeing you at some of Chris's events as Chris and I become friends. <laughs> and I'm watching you up on that platform and thinking, oh my word. Mm. I, mean, I knew the spirit of God was so full on you. And I just thought to myself, what in the world will the Lord end up doing with that young (laughs) woman? And I just, I just, I have, even in times when I've not had the opportunity to be in touch with you or know directly what you were doing, I've always known, I've always known whatever it was, it was with the Lord, it was with the Lord, and it was going to be with some sass and enthusiasm. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. I'm still out here. I'm still out here. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, you know, I say this over and over again. You can make fun of us if you want for our enthusiasm with the scriptures, but you do not want to be taught by somebody who's not enjoying the scriptures for themselves. You don't. You might want somebody more toned down than jalapenos, but you (laughs) don't want, you're not looking for somebody that's just bland about it. What we have both experienced is the life-changing power of God. I don't know about you, but he pulled me out of the deepest pit. And that is a testimony I have for somebody listening. 
I love it. And you want to know something? It's so funny because I feel like when people say, oh, the Bible's boring, my always response is, no, baby, you are boring. Okay. So my assignment is to make the Bible come alive. And if you still are bored, that's just you, honey. Okay. Well, that, and it's also attempting to read and study without the benefit of the Holy Spirit who breathed it in the first place on the sacred page. And so, you know, there are so many people that leave God out of God's own word. And, you know, it's just like, it, it has to be what I'm looking for when I read or I'm looking for when I study or I'm looking for when I teach is for that living word, that, that breath on the page to still be warm with the exhale of God himself. And so mm. you you count him out of it and you're and you're not looking for the Holy Spirit to animate his own word. One of the things I love to say to is Lord, you you love your own word. So come and bring it to life through this <laughs> yeah. through this servant here. Ah, uh, I love it. And I am honored to be able to sit here and talk with you. There's so much that I want to kind of unpack. Um, and as we dive into just our conversation at hand, I want people to know not just who you are, but how you've impacted the kingdom for his glory. And now as a Bible teacher myself and as a church planter, I'm I'm passionate about raising up the next generation of communicators. And I put together like teaching and preaching cohort for the new up and coming generation as part of our church. That's right. It's called to preach and teach. And um, I like to give them assignments. And I was talking about people who've impacted my life and who just, you know, make the Bible come alive and are with sound doctrine and and I was listening to a couple people and I mentioned your name and I looked at the age and I also looked at the gender. There was, it was mixed, about 50% men, 50% women, very young. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. By a show of hands, how many have sat under at least two of Beth Moore's Bible studies? There wasn't enough hands in my, in my opinion. And so I did kind of like a best of Beth Moore. And you know what their assignment was? Go listen to these five of Beth Moore's messages and then come back and tell me about the impact that this woman has had on the kingdom. So this is where we're going to start off. We're going to start off Oh here. my goodness. That we're only start you off. would have done that. <laughs> only you. Only you. Yes. Because we're word nerds and word your nerds word unite. Nerds. Yes. That's exactly right. So for those out there that might not be familiar with the impact and which you will never tell people, you're one of the most humble people I know, but I want to know, this is where I want to start. I want to start with what is the most memorable ministry moment or memory that you've had in the over 20 years of ministry that you've done? The most memorable moment. Mm -hmm. It could be a story. It could be just an overall impact. It could be a a living proof event, but something that you're like, oh no, that left an indelible mark. Yeah. I'm going to tell you because I'm always going to or normally going to think in very present terms. I say this to you because this has been a very gracious thing that the Lord has done for me in that I tend to be really happy with whatever God has me doing at the time. So I do have a lot of wonderful memories about about ministry behind me, but I also am very satisfied by whatever is just on hand at the time. And, and I want to tell you something from this last year that is one of been one of the absolute highlights of my ministry. I taught a a Wednesday night class at my church and there, and I'm in what, from my part of the world where I came from, it would be a very small church in, in their part of the world, which is now my part of the world. uh, It's, (laughs) it's just about, it's right about how it would normally be. It's just much smaller than what I came from in the big mega church world. But 
there was a girl that was coming. She was 12 years old and coming with her mom. And she asked me when she came the first night, she came up to meet me and she said, she said, Miss Beth, may I shake your hand? And I said, I was taken aback because I was just getting my handouts ready for, for everybody and about to hand them out. And, and I, I, I just was like, because the way she said it, I, I knew she must be repeating it from someone else. She said, my mother said, you will want to shake that woman's hand. I'm about to cry telling you. Um, so I, I was just like, oh, my goodness, of course you can. And she said, my mom says that you really love to serve women. I said, yes, and little girls. I surely do. And she said, <laughs> I wonder, Miss Beth if I could be your assistant through this Bible study. And I said, her name was Lauren. And I said, oh, I I can't tell you the emotion I feel talking about her. I said, absolutely, yes. And so I got, I would have her set up what week to week, I would have her set up the whatever visual aid I have. And you know, Bianca, I still have the craziest visual aids. I'm just, you know, (laughs) I'm just like a nut. I've got to have every kind of chart, every do by hands out. She would stand at the door and do the handouts and, and all. And then I got a letter. Oh, oh, oh. I got a card from her when it was over. This is my Bible. It's in the front of it right here because she tells me, and I'm not going to pull it out, but she tells me in it, what it meant to her to serve. So I've got it taped down, but I will never, I mean, she told me what she learned Mm. about Jesus and about scripture. And it was an adult Bible study that, that to me, it's what's Mm. happening to the one it's, it's, it is locking eyes. It's being in the middle of a lesson Mm. and you lock eyes with someone and you realize and the Holy Spirit gives you discernment that the light is dawning on them that God is at work and, and they are sensing the self-authenticating power of the word. That's you know, when people go, how do you know that's that's the scriptures? I mean, world religions this is a hard thing for us to make you understand, but you mm. go to it and you begin to study and ask God, if, listen, if you're out there, would you begin to interact with me on these pages? And somehow, you know, this is, this is the truth. This is the truth. Yeah. And that what happened with that child to me, that's what it's all about. It's not, yes, I, I love what's happening in a group. I love what's happening in a corporate uh, gathering for worship, but it's that one person who suddenly realizes that the same mm. voice who said, yeah. let there be light. And there was, has said my name and has called me before the foundation of the world. That's still to me, is going to come down to that one face-to-face contact that makes it so real and so warm where I could, I could hug her and hold her in my arms and, yeah, this is ministry. This is ministry. I love that. You know, without even intending to go here, it's just you, you ooze story. And I think one of the reasons why you are so profound in your written skill and verbal skill is because you love story and you are following the way of the master. I mean, Jesus loved story. He really did. He did. It was the best way to communicate. You understand that. Now, um, we're going to get to this in a second, but you have a new book that I am so excited to talk about. 
But I think before we go there, you just exemplified it with little Lauren's life. But you have an inordinate love of storytelling. You talk about growing up in the movie theater, but like where where is the genesis of Miss Beth's love of, of story? And how did you discover like the power behind that? Because that's been that's been your sauce in, in, in this season, the last two decades of preaching and teaching. Can I tell you something true, Bianca? I mean, this this is I mean this. Melissa, you know both of my daughters, Amanda uh-huh. and Melissa. And Melissa was telling me just a couple of days ago, she, a friend of hers, asked for an interview. And because he was coming from the more academic world, you know, she was protective enough to go, okay, I'll see if I can connect y'all, but I'm going to be in there. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> and I just love it because I have to say this for her. She said, you make my mother feel stupid and I'll be on you like a dirty shirt. <laughs> and so it was that kind of thing, you know, she, but afterwards, she told me on the way home because we were in the same car. She said, Mother, she said, I, you mesmerized me with a story. And Bianca, I don't, I don't feel it myself. I I can't see that myself. But maybe because that is one of my learning styles, is mm. that if you will develop it for me, okay, this may be it. You know, I came from such a messed up home. I was loved by some and also I was abused and it was such an unstable place. And I think that because I had such an early love for Jesus and I wanted so much to be a good girl, that would have been the way I would have thought of it as when I was little. And uh, then I wanted so much to be a godly woman. And I was just like flipping in and out of every kind of you know, I'd cycle in and out of a mess. And it was just, you know, it just was felt like a train wreck to me. And I think the thing that drove me the craziest, I mean, just drove me into despair and into such self-condemnation is that I constantly, I was like, okay, already, I know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know how. I don't know how. I think story represents that to me, that if you could, you teach me a doctrine, teach me a principle, teach me a truth, but then I need you to put it on the pavement. I need those bare feet now to hit the hot pavement of earth, and I need to know what that looks like. Mm. And I think that again, you said it so beautifully. Jesus loves story. And he knew that it was going to be telling. I, I love the way Eugene Peterson said it. And I think it's in one of the verse that he that he says it in his uh in his interpretation of Mark, where he says, Jesus had a story for everything. And it says, <laughs> and when and when he was alone with the disciples, he would untie the knots for them. But I think, you know, that because they were learning something that was so, so far beyond their imagination that he was having to that he was using things that they could see. And, and I, I I think that's it. I think it was a way to put it in terms where it would be real and warm and flesh and blood. Tell me, you know, not just what, tell me how. And mm. I just, because I think somebody listening may have heard me say that when I was a little girl, I wanted so badly to be a good girl. I want you to understand that I came to understand it as I grew up. And I want you to know that I realized then that that was not the point. It was the Holy Spirit living in me, not just me mm-hmm. trying to be good and do good things. And so, oh, 
girl, it's been such a journey and such a messy journey, really. But that is the thing that I think really normalizes you and make us, the learner, feel like we don't have to be perfect and polished and put together. And I think that the way that you teach the word of God, it just feels very tangible. One of the things that I loved is um, when when we talk about story, the power of story is that it gives us a sense of detachment and an ability to lose ourselves. And yes. why do we love movies? You know, why? Because we lose ourselves in them. Why do we love reality TV? Because we lose ourselves in it. And I think the beauty about um, opening up the word of God and teaching it through the lens of story is that we can get lost in, in between the lines and find ourselves in the different characters of scripture. And you do such a phenomenal job of that. In your book, My Knotted Up Life, you use so many stories. And a lot of those stories, you had kind of alluded to this. I want to go there a little bit with whatever you feel comfortable Please. with. Please. But oh, you had, you, and you've spoken about this, and now you're writing about this, about the trauma that you faced yes. as a child. And I firmly believe that childhood frames so much of our future. So can you tell us how maybe your childhood um, framed your view of God and walk us through how you went from childhood trauma to a life of ministry as an adult? One of the things that I was thinking about today, knowing that we were going to be talking, Bianca, is that I was reaching out in a situation in my extended family, my family of origin that I love very, very much. And my heart was just aching for a sibling. And I thought to myself, I think this is something a lot of people don't understand about abuse and about childhood trauma is the price of it over a lifetime. That when we, when there may be people that don't have that background, that that don't understand why we're pounding so hard on the table now, because why can't we just get on with it? Because Mm -hmm. things can happen so early that they're fundamental to the way we think of ourselves and 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 relate to people and the boundaries that we draw or don't ever draw and as for me it was never drawing them and I'll leave the details of this to the reader so that it will stay in its context but I will tell you that I was in, abused inside my own home Friends, I'm interrupting this podcast because if you know me, I love a good smelling house. Not only do I love a good smelling house, I love when things also help the environment. They're on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up beautiful, high-quality fragrance. The candle industry has major problems. Almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year, and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years. Yes, you heard me right. 1 million. Nose has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again and again so you don't have to become part of the problem. It's so easy to use, friends. The candles are made with fragrance wax beads. All you have to do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar, fill it up with wax beads, enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours, and then all you have to do is do the exact same thing over again. Yes, I've been loving burning the Santal and Atlas cedar scents. They're some of my favorites. It's calming and woodsy and luxurious. I'm obsessed. I love it. There's a bunch of other fragrances, and I'm sure that you will find one that fits your fancy. You can build your custom starter kit right now. Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy Notes starter kit using the code Going There. 
Yep. Just use the code going there when placing your order. That's going there at notescandle.com backslash going there. Uh, you mentioned this in the book. If we actually knew each other's stories, we'd walk around slack jawed. And yes. not only do I agree with that statement, um, I want you to kind of unpack that just a little bit before we dive yes. into some of the great learnings and teachings that you talk about in the book. You know, what I love, well, we'll talk about that in a second, but you really do take like tough topics that feel general, but you make them personal. And then we get to walk away with stuff to, to like learn for our own lives. But the slack jaw, the slack jaw, why would we listen to each other's stories? And why would we feel slack jawed if we heard each other's stories? I, I think if we only knew what the other person had been through, I think, I yeah. think this sometimes I try to remember this. This is when it's tough. When it's someone who has been really, really ugly to me, like in public on Twitter or on Instagram, occasionally it's it's a pretty it's it's a pretty calm place compared to Twitter. <laughs> you know, I don't I just don't touch Facebook at all. But when somebody is like relentlessly ugly, and especially if I can go to their page and I can look and I can see where the whole thing, their whole identity is wrapped up in criticism. Of, of whomever is out there. And I try to think to myself, you don't have any idea what she or he uh, happens to be going through. You, you know, nothing yeah. of their real story, uh, nothing. And I, I'll, I'll say this. I think, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. So from the very beginning of being in front of people, I, the, the first thing I ever wrote, I, I came out with the fact that I had a background of abuse. I didn't tell any deals. I've never, ever told who, my perpetrator was until this memoir. And that was because most of that generation has passed. I hate <laughs> to say that when someone says, why now? Well, because you need to wait until many people are with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? With the <laughs> Lord. And then you can tell some things that might not have been safe. But okay, so from the beginning, I I was... I, I just couldn't be hypocritical enough not to say I hadn't had problems. So I just mm. couldn't live that duplicit, you know, duplicitously. So what I did, think of it in layers. So here's this, this superficial layer that just never worked for me. And I don't think it's ever worked for you either, Bianca. I just, mm -mm. life was too um, vivid and raw and mm. tactile to me to do it that way. I didn't find any, I, I loved joking around. I loved being silly, all those things. But when it came down to it and I was speaking and teaching, teaching, I never did just do this. So think of that surface level that right here. So I, I, I always did ministry. All of these years I've done ministry here. All of these years I've done ministry. What I did in this book is that I went here, but I want to say mm. this to you. There is another level. I think of it as four. And there's this, this is where I would tell someone, and this is what I wonder about always with this three and four right here. If somebody said, Beth, did you tell all the good? Well, no. Uh, well, why didn't you? Well, because really, truly the public, you have to decide whether or not the public, forgive my wording here, is worthy of your most vulnerable stories. Right. And very mm -hmm. often the answer to that is going to be no. There are some right. people that are, praise God. <laughs> There's, mm -hmm. I've got people in my life that know all the goods, all the way down to that fourth level. But if you honestly took it all and you realized what people had suffered through and and just the, the marital problems people have had, 
the struggles mm. with mental illness within a home. Um, some of the, I've, I minister to women on the regular, Bianca, that have discovered porn on their husband's phone or laptop and never told them. I, mm. I've had women that have many, many times, There's this would be beyond counting, with gray hair in their late 70s, early 80s, I have hugged so many women who have whispered in my ear, I have your same background and I've never told anyone. I mean, mm. Bianca. Yeah. But we just, you know, we feel like what I would say to somebody is we have to live consistently with what that fourth layer would be. We don't yeah. have to tell it, but yeah. we need, we have to live consistent. In other words, I've had a really rough background. I'm going to say to a group, I've had a really rough background. Earlier, somebody said to me, asked me on an interview, they said, and you've never, you know, we've never seen you in these years um, fall into sin. I said, whoa. Whoa, I need to stop you right there because I said I was pulled out of a stronghold of sin. I said, so it wasn't it what didn't happen to me in my 50s. I was yeah. a wreck growing up and as a young woman. So I don't want anybody to get the feeling here that I did it all right because really honestly, I got so much of it convoluted and so much of it wrong. But man, the Lord's been merciful to me. So one of the things that I like is that in this book particular, which feels a little different, actually feels a lot of it different than a lot of the other stuff that you've written, but yes. you spoke, no, you've spoken about Keith, your lovely husband yes. in Bible studies before and teachings yes. before and conferences before. I love that you normalize just kind of like the tension and just who doesn't have struggles in marriage, right? But yes. people don't feel comfortable talking about it. No, you've spoken about Keith before, I mean, he's even built you a, a house, which yes. I mean, that's just a whole other story for a whole, whole other, other day. story. But so a lot of it looks very like perfect and polished right now. But um, what advice would you give and would you share in managing marriage and mothering and ministry? And um, I'm just asking for a friend. I'm not asking for me, Miss Beth. I'm asking for <laughs> yes. someone who might be struggling, yes. you know. Yes. Um, no, but I love that chapter because I feel like you're taking this topic that feels very nebulous and confusing for a lot of people. We don't have a lot of honest space, but like you take us through this journey of like really how hard it's been and where you guys yes. are now. But for anyone out there that might feel that tension, what encouragement would you give? Because I think you unpack that beautifully in the book. Okay. One of the things, so that we'll get specific enough without getting too specific and taking it out of context. Let me let me get you on the same page with Bianca and me uh, for a minute in that let's let's use this for an example. When, I mean, you got life out there, you, you work at a bank, you're a school teacher, what, whatever, you may be a doctor, you may work at, you may be a checker at a grocery store, whatever it may be, but that you're, you are almost flipping into a whole different kind of persona when you walk out the door because there's some kind of chaos or some kind of madness or something out of your control that's in that house, in that behind that door that you just shut and you're having to kind of navigate how in the world do I live out here now? Case in point, just here recently, um, um, a woman in ministry in the UK, as she does a lots and lots of ministry um, with, uh, with women there. And she was saying to me how in the world, she said, I, I'm trying to navigate 
how I can speak to something without telling on my loved one. But she said, I feel like she said, I don't want to not be true when I'm speaking. And so one of the things I was telling her is that the, for years and years and years, one of the, I get to share a, a dynamic that Keith and I've had for the, the whole of our marriage uh, in this book that we've you know that been quite challenging with PTSD, severe PTSD and and uh, challenges of mental illness and some of the things we've been through together and the baggage that we brought into marriage together. But while I felt like there were things that I could not specify in my speaking, what I tried to do, Bianca, was remain very, very true to the to the the theme of it by that i mean what i've hoped for is that if that third layer that i was talking about a moment ago or fourth layer had been known out of time for me in other words instead of me telling it had it just been known all of a sudden would a reader or even with me telling it would a reader that had been around my life for some amount of years go okay that makes sense i would want the answer to that to be yes, because I would have wanted to live consistently with that. In other mm. words, so there are things that you feel like, okay, I can't give those details because they're about somebody else's life and I don't have their blessing to go out there and talk about them. And mm -hmm. Oh, Bianca, this is something you guys who are raising kids now, I mean, God bless you because some of your kids are going to absolutely kill you for the things that you put <laughs> out in the public. I, they're going to see their own behinds in pictures when they're grown up and ministering. They're going to be, well, there's my bear behind when I was two years old and my mother was talking about potty training. You know what I'm saying? So there has to be some kind of sense we're using out there when we're, when we're speaking and, but it needs to be consistent. I need to be able to say, man, we have such, we have ridden such a roller coaster. I've said that over and over. I've, that we've really, really struggled and that, okay, so Bianca, as you and I talk today, Keith and I are two weeks exactly from our 44th anniversary. And oh, I'm going to tell you, my word. Congrats. neither one of us would be able to say that to one another without grinning a very knowing grin because, I mean, like Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what I'm going to tell you. So, oh, God bless you in your, in the privacy of your own home when you feel like, listen, there's so much chaos going on here. And I, I what I want to encourage somebody to know is that, Bianca, that's true for more people than it's not. Yeah. It just helps us so much when some people just come out with it. I said to Keith, and I tell this in the book that I sat down with him when I first started writing it. I, I did my childhood just fine. But when it came to the part where we get married, I thought, okay, how are we going to do this? And I sat across from him at the table and said, I, I need you to help me with this. How? I said, we're going to, you want to do this? And he said, well, what does this look like? And I said, well, I mean, basics is it means whatever whatever boundary we want to put on it. But you want to really do this, or and maybe make somebody feel less alone. Or are we mm. going to play? And we very very thoughtfully decided. Good grief, we're in our mid sixties. Why would we decide now that we couldn't live with that being known? 
Mm. I love that. I love that. You know, as we uh, transition out, there's there's just two things that I kind of want to wrap this up with because, I mean, there's so much that I want to talk about and unpack, but I want to talk about the reality of resilience. So coming off of the heels of marriage, like congrats on 44 years. This is Thank epic you, and amazing. But this resilience isn't just noted in your marriage, but you were doing ministry for women before there was a model of ministry for women. And I know the resistance that I have faced as a woman who loves to teach a Bible and leads in church plants and pastors. Has there been hurtful or harmful things that you faced in ministry? And what has been your motivation to get back up and to keep mm. going? Resilience is so important. And I mean, it's it's just key. It's just key. And I love that Christ says a number of times in Revelation that those who endure, those who endure to the end, he says that in Matthew 24, and those who endure to the end, that there's this endurance and you must persevere so that you have the reward of that which you have pursued in Christ. And this this whole idea of this is going to be a battle, it's going to be a fight, and you got to mm. hang in there. And mm. yes, every, every kind of obstacle you can imagine, the obstacle of, of not having the, the training that, goodness, if I could have gone back and if I could have had the foresight to know and who, if God had shown me where it was going to go, if you don't think I would have found a way, I mean, I tried <laughs> to see if seminary could work for me, but it just didn't work for my family dynamic. So I thought I've got to find another way. But had I seen what was coming, had I probably thought, oh, you need to run for your life and get, I, I'd have done, I'd have done things so differently. So, you know, I had a lack of training. I had naivety. You know, I just thought, well, it, all of us, I just thought, well, you know, we're one big, happy family in Christ. I remember one time when I was at a convention and I got on the elevator with a group of, of leaders and, and their wives. And I had heard their name a million times and I was just, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, and so I hugged some of them because, in, and I remember them feeling so stiff and not hugging <laughs> me back. And I thought, oh, I got, I've, I always think, oh, we're all, we're all in this together. No, we're not. I mean, we are, we will be before the throne, but it was shocking to me that the truth is we're not always all in this together. And there were a number of people that were like, what are you even doing here? And mm. you're a woman. And then there was that mm. constant, constant resistance. And Bianca, mm. as you know, man, we just get in some situations where we're so far over our head. We, mm. we, we don't even know what we're doing. Like, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Oh, help me. But I'll say this to you. This is the beauty of sticking it out. And I'll yeah. say this to the end mm. is that if you are in the thing because of Jesus, and then, and then you can't just be in it. You can't just be like, that's how I surrender. Well, of course, all of us surrendered that way. I would assume most of us surrendered that way. We surrendered to Jesus to serve Jesus. But then you have to keep, I mean, you have to hold on to that. That is the reason why I'm here. It's not to mm. entertain. It's not to have a big, it's not to build a brand. It's none of that. It's none of that. It's not just to make money. It's not to have notoriety in it for Jesus. You fight mm. for that the whole, your whole adult life long. 
And I'm going to tell you, he's so true and he, and he holds so tight that when everything else would give you reason to quit, he is just your staying power. I have had so many people ask me over the last couple of years, I, why didn't you quit? Why didn't you quit? I, it ne- I, I, don't, I don't want this to sound better than it is. I want to explain it a little bit. It never occurred to me to quit. Never. Mm-hmm. What it occurred to me to do was get out of the public eye. That was very tempting, very tempting. But it was too late. By the time John MacArthur told me to go home, I had already been out there. I I was so in deep with the Lord and I'd already been in ministry so long. I wasn't going anywhere. I mean, I was going home. I'll never forget, you know, because people would tweet me that constantly. Guys, over and over again, go home. I go, I am home. I just made a ham sandwich at home. I remember you know, those just, tweets. It was just I remember those nuts. tweets. I thought it was so funny and it so It was just nuts, Bianca. But so it never even, it ruffles so many of my friends' feathers, but things have really ruffled me. But that was just like, I'm sorry. I I don't I don't get to quit any more than, than you get to quit. But... I say this to you fully, sincerely, with your young face in front of me. I stayed in the public eye because of you young women. And I mm. i mean, I thought this every single, starting mid-October, when this, all this nightmare began and ministry changed for me nearly overnight and in a lot of ways permanently, permanently, I kept thinking to myself, if those young women see their older sisters scared off, and if they see that we can be bullied out, what then, when it's their turn, where, where do they, what do they do? How, how do they know? No, no, you can stay with it. You can stay with it and you stay with Jesus and you, you you press into him and you make it and you know that your your security is in him and you find your approval in him and I mean every day so I would think Bianca I think get on there again and I mean I'd open up social media and it would be a firing squad but I would think mm-hmm. oh you're going to say something I don't care what uh, it would be about a taco I had the taco of my life last night. It would be about the most absurd blueberry pancakes. I don't care. But I thought, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to let those young women see that I can be bullied out of ministry. I'm not going to. This is the most beautiful thing. I had this question that I wanted to end with about legacy. And it feels like this book is a letter to the next generation. And what I love is I feel like you knew that implicitly and that was worth saying because I know there's a lot of things that you're going to leave behind in the wake of your daughters and your grandchildren and spiritual daughters and spiritual grandchildren. But one of the things that I love is when um, you've been attacked a lot on social media and some things you see and are tagged in and some things you're not. And um, I'm I'm totally completely off of Twitter completely. But um, when I was on and when I wasn't saved, because sometimes I forget that I'm a Christian and I have what I call flesh flash. And I saw, I saw somebody go after you 
They didn't tag you. They wanted to talk trash. Oh, absolutely. But they didn't tag you. Absolutely. And so I'm over here like, I'm going to take off my earrings. And so because I'm immature <laughs> and in need of sanctification, I clapped back. Uh-huh. And I went after them. And my husband, who subscribed, well, I mean, when I was on Twitter, he subscribed to my tweets. He literally texted me. He said, Bianca, put down the phone immediately. <laughs> and, and so I praise the Lord for my Holy Spirit husband, you know, but I just want to say, put by you showing up, your phone. Mm. But by you showing up, it is consistently and continually given license to everyone in your wake. And I want to say, I am. I've never had the opportunity. The lump in my throat was coming back. It's it's going down. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, you show up fearlessly. And I know that there's probably fear in you, but you show up fearlessly. And you have inspired me not only to use my voice, but to study thyself approved like Mm -hmm. you taught us in 2 Timothy. And I remember flying to Texas to attend your lit Bible teaching workshop. And my life, my life really was changed for a number of reasons. And we don't have time to get into it, but your legacy and what you are leaving for the kingdom. And there's still more to come because there's a lot more words in you. But I'm just saying that we get to walk in the wake of your sacrifices from tacos to blueberries, to standing up for truth, to um, speaking up and out about things that are wrong within the Capital C Church. I want to say thank you. I'm, I love you. Really, the ghetto, too, the, Amo, the whole thing, I really do. I cannot wait to get to this, this book into the hands of my knotted up life, into the hands of people around, not just the nation, but the globe. And five lucky winners will receive a copy of this book because I think it's making it really practical. We get to learn in the hands. And I'm an ardent supporter of Amazon because those Amazon sales matter. So I'm going to go personally buy them and five lucky winners when they yeah, tag you on Instagram. Not on Twitter because that's where the mean people live. But when they tag you on Instagram, I just am so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your time. I love you. And I can't wait to see this book explode. I am so proud of you, young women. I don't know what to do. And you're doing the thing. We just keep passing it down, my friend. Keep passing it down. So thank you so much. You have honored me today. And oh, girl, I honor you. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Miss Beth. Love you so. One of the things that I've learned in ministry is that vulnerability is quite hard. One of the things that I've respected about Beth Moore is that she's always incredibly vulnerable. She does it in a way that's honoring of so many people. And like we heard in the podcast today, nothing's changed. I am excited for those that want to learn more, not just about Beth and her ministry, but about her story, her life. Her story of resiliency and transparency is so beautiful and so encouraging. As mentioned before, you can get a copy of her book, which releases tomorrow at any brick and mortar fine institution that sells books, whether that is a Target, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, or you can download it on Kindle. I hope you get this book and support the years that this woman has sown into so many people's lives. Thanks for listening to the show today. If this show has benefited you or this podcast has benefited you, would you consider leaving a kind review and subscribing anywhere that you listen to podcasts? Can't wait to catch you next week. Love you, friends.